0: Heavy Cardboard, episode 128, the top 50 of all time of right now. Coming to you from the Center for Anxiety at Boston University. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. I'm your host, Edward. Well, here we are. It's just you and me tonight. Gotta say... Feels a bit weird yet intimate, hosting the podcast by myself for the first time ever. Well, let's go ahead and enjoy, enjoy <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and enjoy each other's company tonight while we explore the games that have made the biggest impact on me over the course of the last six years or so. But before we get into that, what all's been going on on my end? Well, I had the Watsky concert. It was phenomenal. It was 17 degrees waiting in line. We made our way to the front uh, of the show. It was front line or first row uh, for the concert. Fantastic show. There was a band called Feed the Birds, Birds with Two Eyes, uh, that opened up. And oh, my, was her voice phenomenal. Uh, Definitely recommend checking out uh, them over on YouTube or Spotify if they're on Spotify. I don't know. But I found them on YouTube, so there's that. Then the second act was another white boy rapper by the name of Greaves, G-R-I-E-V-E-S, I I believe is how you spell it. Had some cool stuff. Uh, Really enjoyed the vibe, enjoyed the show. Uh, I appreciated the fact that he's an older dude rapping as well. He's, you know, mid-late 30s or so, so that that was pretty cool. And then Watsky just brought the house down. It was phenomenal. Really, really good time. Got to hang out and shoot the breeze a little bit with greaves and with watsky and honestly with the folks there uh for feed the birds after the show was an amazing trip so big thanks to jess for the uh for the present for the concert tickets and for uh going with me it was a really great time so that was really good stuff Show-wise, just a couple things. Gamma Trade Show is next week. Really looking forward to it. And I got to be honest, I'm pretty grateful that it's only a handful of days in Reno, Nevada. Well, honestly, I don't care where it is. I'm just grateful that it's only a handful of days. We're flying out a Wednesday morning. And flying back late overnight, Saturday turning into Sunday to get back in time for the Irish Gage live stream. And then game day and then two live streams on Monday. It's a pretty crazy week after Gamma. But looking forward to Gamma. uh, Already have had some meetings that were originally scheduled for Gamma that we kind of had informal meetings ahead of. And really, really looking forward to that. I think a lot of good is going to come out of that For the show as well as for everybody, both listeners and viewers, as far as content in the coming months and year or years, if I dare I say, for possible sponsorships as well as just partnerships along the way. So looking forward to Gamma Trade Show, which is essentially the first convention of the year, even though it's not open to the public. We're going to have daily diaries for a couple times throughout uh, the trip, even though it's an abbreviated trip gonna make a point to do at least two daily Diaries for the podcast listeners for all y'all out there over that week so listen for that keep an eye on your podcast on well the heavy cardboard feed and also I guess I should point out that I've made the decision to pretty much scrap the secondary feed uh, because honestly it just wasn't getting. It wasn't worth it uh, separating the two feeds. So if you only want podcasts, well, good, or uh, main reviews, main uh, episodes, good news is that's going to predominantly be the content that comes on the podcast feed here. But if you're only wanting that, well, you can always just not download the Daily Diary stuff like that, but have made the command decision to go ahead and revert back to the single feed. Speaking of updating stuff, have updated Patreon and, and soon-to-be PledgeHC.com with new milestones and patron perks. So I definitely, if you're enjoying the podcast and or the YouTube channel, please consider supporting the show. You can do that in a number of ways. The two main ones are, honestly, just tell folks about the show, be it locally, in person or online on BGG, on social media, wherever. The second main way is to head over to either pledgehc.com or patreon.com forward slash heavy cardboard and choose one of the options there to help the show financially. Every single dollar helps and makes a difference. There's no way the show is rolling along without the support of all the amazing heavy cardboard patrons. So thank you to all of you out there. And if you'd like to do so and join the herd consider supporting the show through one of those ways. There's definitely some cool benefits of becoming a patron that you have the Slack channel or Slack community if you will which is really interesting especially with all the drama that is going on on various places along the internet about various topics. We've yet to ever have to moderate anything in the Slack community and that's that's kind of kind of amazing in 2019. The fact that that's the case, I'm not saying everybody agrees with one another. What I am saying is everyone there has been really civil, which is amazing. So yeah, really wonderful group of folks over there who love talking games. You also get to vote on upcoming content. So you get a say in both what you hear and what you see on the show. So have a gander. If you're so inclined, consider supporting the show, pledgehc.com or patreon.com forward slash heavy cardboard. Thanks y'all. One thing that's been fantastic about the fact that I'm traveling far, far less this year is, well, what have I been playing? That list, pretty long, which is awesome. That means I've been playing a lot of games, which is good for y'all and good for me because, hey, I get to play games, so that's cool. A lot of these are all centered around the live streams and or reviews, obviously, but Donning the Purple, which was kind of a King of the Hill type game, Played it, uh, it's a three player game and really enjoyed our plays of that. Then Ground Floor 2.0 or second edition. Gotta say, I was a really big fan of the original Ground Floor and all the improvements that David Short and Uli Bleneman over at Spielworks made. Across the board, hands down improvements to the original game. And nothing they did was a step back. Really, really happy with that game. Even with there being a couple of small misprints, uh, one on the board, one on one of the uh, one of the tiles, but even so, um, you're probably going to hear about that that game later. So got some plays of that in. Cargo Express is another one. This one from Compass Games. This is actually Cargo Train redone. And I remember originally getting a copy of Cargo Train from Christoph Matuzic, who's the designer the original edition, and I got to admit, it was pretty clunky, and it really didn't go over all that great, and this was probably the best example that I have encountered of a game's production quality slash component, the way the components have just made the gameplay better, and made for a more enjoyable game, because of the way that they did it, in Cargo Express, it's just a much more fluid, much more intuitive, and much more enjoyable experience. We really enjoyed our plays of Cargo Express. So yeah, thinky filler, pretty pretty good game there. On the other end of the spectrum, we have Blackout Hong Kong. Oof. Um, not my favorite Alexander Pfister game. I got to be honest, the graphic design and artwork is lacking. Completely, I feel like just a really really big miss as far as the theme and integrating Hong Kong into the game and making it it could have been anywhere There, there was literally nothing about that game made me think Hong Kong in any of it the theme was weird at best and non-existent the mechanisms were actually enjoyable but a bit repetitive and it kind of harkened back a little bit to some of the card mechanics in Mombasa, which I appreciated. But overall, the game kind of left me feeling pretty flat. And Alexander Pfister actually commented in the uh, on the live or um, on the live stream after the fact, saying, "Hey, sorry, it wasn't uh, you know your favorite this and that." But that said, he does listen to the podcast, so I'm really glad that he enjoyed our review of Great Western Trail. So there's that. Eh, you can't, not everything can be a home run, right? We also have played Big Shot, and Big Shot came out of nowhere for me. Big Shot is a thinky filler, I guess is a, a good way to put it, a maybe precursor or ancestor to Neue Heimet or the Estates. Simple little auction game, area con- control game that is just really nasty. Uh, really enjoyed it. Plays really quick, probably plays in about 45 minutes and really enjoyed that one. Then there's DR Congo. DR Congo has the infamy, call it, or, or what, however you want to word that. The fact that DR Congo is one of the few games that as a group that I've been a part of, we decided to quit before finishing the game. Unlike an 18XX where we all might quit and agree, hey, all right, we know who the winner is going to be whatever, it's all, you know, academic at this point. We all quit DR Congo because it really wasn't an enjoyable experience. For the simple fact that the randomness in that game essentially eliminated one player through no fault of theirs. They had no impact and and, and there was nothing that they could have done or anticipated to have not been essentially eliminated from the game which made for a really unpleasant experience for them which then made it really unpleasant for the rest of us and we were like oof no however on the flip side of that playing it as a solo game actually worked really really well and gotta say I thoroughly enjoyed my experience playing DR Congo as a solo game so there's that so keep that in mind if if you ever Decide to take a look at the game Dior Congo by the Ragnar Brothers. In my opinion, really good as a solo game, really lacking as a multiplayer, or at least as a four player, which is my only two experiences play count wise with that game. Yeah. Uh, but solo, yeah, really enjoyed that. Then we had Aegis Theme Ireland hit the table on the live stream. And man, I'm a horrible person because this was both Jess's and Martin's first experience with Age of Steam, and it was live on a live stream. That's kind of brutal to do that to him. I apologize, but they both really enjoyed it. Now, Martin had played a bunch of Steam, and it was pretty interesting to hear his take on the comparison and differences between Age of Steam and Steam. And gotta say, even though, it was just a, you know, trial by fire with Ireland. She really enjoyed Age of Steam. She's really chomping into a bit to play it more, which is good because we have more Age of Steam coming. So that's a win. Plus what? I have 130, 140 maps in the game room. So yeah, that's a, that's a big win. I'm happy that went over really well. Plus Ireland's just a brutal three player map, but nobody went bankrupt and yeah, really enjoyed that because well, it's Age of Steam. Duh. Also got Panamax back to the table for the first time, shoot, since we reviewed it, I think, and we're talking five, five and a half years, maybe I haven't played this game. It was voted on by the patrons for, to be a live stream this month. And I was like, eh, and I'll be honest, I really wasn't super looking forward to it. But when I got it back to the table and we played it a couple times, once before the stream and, and once for the stream, got to say. Really enjoyed that a lot more than I remember. Now, if I you go back and listen to the review, really enjoyed the game. However, maybe it's, I don't know, time that kind of softened everything and I was just kind of eh about it. I don't know why, but when I got it back to the table, thoroughly enjoyed my plays of it. I will say I'm not super keen about the financial advisors in that game. I still don't feel that they're as balanced as as folks some argue that they are. I just I'm not seeing it. I I think the game I think that the that is the game's weak point and I think that is where the the game kind of falls down a bit is with those financial advisors. And the stock market I feel like is a little bolted on i guess even though it is integral i get that it just doesn't it's not as dynamic as i want it to be i guess but again that is that a me thing wanting it to be more than it is or is that a lack of the actual mechanisms in the game i don't know but either way really enjoyed my play as a panamax so if you if you have it and you haven't gotten it to the table in a while I'd recommend doing so because I really enjoyed it. Then lastly, we have Dinogenics. And I got to be honest, I'd never heard of this game until I got a text from Banker Dave who's like, hey, you want a copy of Dinogenics? He said, think Dinosaur Island, Jurassic Park type thing. And I was like, "Uh," and I went and did a little homework on it. And I was like, sure. Apparently his nephew, I think, maybe. Uh, had something to do with the game. Uh, Might have been the lead developer. I'm not sure. Uh, they sent me a copy of the game, and we got it played a couple times. A lot of fun. Um, Not the heaviest game in the world, but not also not super light. And there was a really interesting discussion about the comparison between Dinogenics and Dinosaur Island. And even though I haven't played Dinosaur Island, the consensus seemed to be that uh, Dinogenics, was a more i don't want to say serious but a less whimsical look at if jurassic park or a running a dinosaur park were a real thing this is this takes it on a more serious line than something like a dinosaur island and it's a little bit less random and it's a little bit heavier so all i can say is i enjoyed my plays and the rulebook definitely left something to be desired. They're coming out with a second edition or a revised rulebook, I should say, which definitely helped in having access to ask them questions. Um, just the layout of the rulebook just wasn't the best, and it left a lot of holes, but was able to teach it fairly well, and it played really quickly as a three-player game. So enjoyed my plays of that. So, yeah, that was a pretty good list of what I've been playing lately. Moving on to acquisitions here at HCHQ. Uh, Not too many, really. Uh, Dynogenics, the aforementioned game that I just talked about. Also, a game by the name of Prehistory from A-Games. A-Games is the same company that did Ave Roma. And Ave Roma, I was really excited about it until I played it a couple of times. Then, yeah, yeah. However, looking at on BGG, got a 7.6 rating. The weight is 3.89. That's about all I know about prehistory other than the fact that it's an area control worker placement game. It's got a lot of things going for it. I will say that just on the surface, looking at that. So looking forward to checking out prehistory. Then got a copy of railroad rivals, the robber barons expansion. We're going to be doing a live stream of that next week. So kind of makes sense that we got a copy of that. And finally, sort of, got a copy of CO2 Second Chance. And I say sort of because, well, I don't have a copy of it. It's actually Khan's copy, one of the guys in a local uh, HCHQ Boston game group who generously has temporarily donated it so that we can get plays of it and live stream it for the game of the month, which game of the month also means we're going to have a first impression. And I got to be honest, I played CO2 Honestly, I think I played CO2 as one of my first five games that I ever played when I got into the hobby. So I I feel pretty confident saying that it's going to be a very true first impression of CO2 uh, second chance because I have almost no recollection of the original CO2 other than being underwhelmed. But again, one of my first five plays ever in the hobby. So I'm looking forward to digging into that as the game of the month for March. As far as what I'm looking forward to in hunting, this is actually pretty rare. There are actually three games that are on this list that I am actively wanting a copy of. That Two of which are, are somewhat older at this point. The other is still pretty new. The newer one being This Guilty Land. Uh, Tom and Mary over at Hollenspiel we're going to be doing a live stream of this guilty land and I think that's going to bring up some good discussion and some good uh, good conversation about both the game the topic and how far the hobby has come with its uh, gamification of the struggle that was dealing with slavery and the abolition of slavery back in the 19th century so looking forward to to getting a copy of that and going backwards in time kind of then Mage Knight Ultimate Edition I've never played Mage Knight I have a copy of the original Mage Knight I just haven't gotten to it yet however if I'm going to do it I might as well get the new edition right so I'm actually actually looking for a copy of Mage Knight Ultimate Edition so we'll see how what comes of that and last but not least this came as a surprise to some folks given our I don't know, the integration of the Glory to Rome's on the live streams. I don't have a copy of Glory to Rome and I want a copy of Glory to Rome, the black box edition. I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of y'all out there that probably are saying the same thing, but it's prohibitively expensive and unlikely to be reprinted anytime soon, if ever. So yeah, we'll see what comes of that, but yeah. Trying to think outside the box as far as acquisitions. That's a pretty good list, I think. And as far as looking forward to playing, man, this is a fun list right here. We have a a play of Churchill scheduled while at Gamma, Millennium Blades at game day after Gamma, because again, we're going to be streaming both of those. And I don't know if y'all have seen. The schedule of games over on the website, if you go to heavycardboard.com and on the front page there, there is a Google calendar. It, the integration is not the greatest with mobile. So if you're on mobile, you can always subscribe to that calendar. So you see the changes that get made and it shows up a lot better that way. But if you're on some sort of desktop or laptop or whatever, you'll see it in all its glory. So uh, if you haven't seen it, it's chock full of ridiculous lineups for the rest of this month and this is not an all-inclusive uh list here but we have pax premier second edition with cole whirley in the house co2 uh second chance this guilty land millennium blades churchill irish gauge we have age of steam the new edition we're going to be live streaming and a really really big secret live stream on March 25th that evening. I would seriously if at all possible mark your calendars, try and be there for that one. That is a legitimate big secret that we're excited to be able to share with everybody. Then we have a Reef Encounter review, we have the Space Corp review coming and Tale to and review. So, a lot of content, a lot of good and high-quality content coming to y'all here in the upcoming weeks. The top 50 of all time of right now. It's been 382 days that have passed, but I got to be honest, kind of feels like about two lifetimes ago since Heavy Cardboard has posted a top 50 of all time of right now. Stick around to the end of the list to hear some comparisons to the previous three top 50s that I've done. I made some really interesting, well, I don't know if they're revelations, but really interesting comparisons and what the lists say about gaming or at least my taste in gaming. I I, I found it pretty interesting anyway. So some guidelines that I followed, uh, which are very similar, if not identical to the previous lists, even though the first list kind of skirted the line on one of these, but that's neither here nor there. No filler games. So stuff like the climbers, Arboretum, SNCF, for the sake of these lists Gonna, these uh, I they're labeled filler as any game in which you would not go specifically to a game day to play, at least that I wouldn't. So there's that no expansions, although there may be some games that are included here with their expansions, only release games. So you're not going to hear City of the Big Shoulders, PAX Premier Second Edition, Barrage, Pipeline, stuff like that. Even though I've played all those, they're not released. They're not eligible for the list. Numbers 50 down to 21, I went ahead and listed alphabetically. This is something that we've done from the beginning, and I'm continuing to do this with this list. Because, let's face it, the further down the list you go, it becomes awfully arbitrary. I mean, what's the difference between number 37 and 34? Yeah, right? Yes. Yes. You could probably make the argument what's the difference between number 20 and number five? I get it, but you got to draw the line somewhere. So, drew it from 50 to 21 are going to be done alphabetically. Then they're going to be in order from number 20 down to number one. And, folks, this is by no means a complete list. There are still plenty of games that I have not gotten around to trying or that haven't impacted me enough in limited plays. So, this is roughly. My top 50 of the 1,500 or so games that I have played, which makes this the top of the top 3%, not factoring in filler games. So that said, let's go ahead and get into it. Again, number 50 to 21, alphabetically. Starting off, well, alphanumerically with 1846. 1846, I have talked till the cows come home about it being an amazing entry level jumping off point, especially for Euro players moving into 18xx. I still feel that way. There are people, very experienced 18xx players, far more than me, that have played 1846 well over 100 times and still find things to enjoy about playing 1846. If that doesn't talk about longevity, I don't know what does. Even though I don't get it played a whole lot, Still, it belongs on this list, in my opinion. So there we go. First off, 1846. Next, we have An Infamous Traffic, designed by Cole Worley. And I'm not going to do designer and publisher on all these games. But An Infamous Traffic, it's a very opaque game if you haven't played it. But the theme is fascinating to me. The fact that it's about smuggling heroin back in the 19th century, uh 18th, 19th century, uh around China. Who makes games like that? Leave it to Cole to go with these really obscure, really bizarre themes that and I put Cole's games along with kind of Phil Eklund's games, in that these games are really hard to understand the why and to wrap your head around, even if the rules aren't super complicated understanding the why of how these games work and why you're trying to do the things that you do can take a little bit of work however a lot of the time it pays off and it's worth putting that work in and for me an infamous traffic is one of those games so that's why it belongs on this list next up we have automobile by martin wallace People say this game is far too random for their liking. I disagree with that. There is random in that you can make educated guesses on things. And I I can appreciate games without perfect information. And Automobile is exactly that. You, want, you know part of the information, but you don't know all the information. And the rest of it is left up to randomness. And I'm okay with that. It's about producing cars and being able to gauge the market correctly to be able to then sell those cars. I think it's an, a fantastic implementation of the mechanisms that this game brings. Whereas a game like ships, which came after the fact also from Martin, I, I feel like was ships was a, a far weaker implementation of a game like this that uses similar mechanisms. If not identical, they're not, but, uh, automobiles is fantastic. I love the game. I'm chomping at the bit to get it played, but I'll be honest. I don't have a whole lot of free time uh, around game other than for games that are going to be on the show. So if the patrons could, you know, vote up automobile so that we could, you know, stream it, which means I get it played a couple more times. That'd be great. Do me a solid with that. Will you? So automobile definitely on this list. And the first of the newcomers, for this year brides and bribes i gotta be honest when i first heard the name nothing about that game grabbed me and then carmen over at game surplus was like dude you really gotta try this game it is really cutthroat it is nasty it is wonderful and i was like really he was like really well got a copy and played it and i gotta say it ended up I had one of the very best experiences I've ever had in this hobby playing that game on our live stream. That was one of the best experiences, top five experience of my entire life as far as board gaming is considered. So how could it not make this list? There were more glory to Rome or go fornicate with yourself instances in that game than there ever have been with any other. And that includes games like dominant species and and so on and so forth. And it was just, it was just a fantastic experience. It's, it's less about the game mechanisms or anything else. It was, it's the experience for me with this game, even though it's a really damn good game. It's about being able to uh, have your family members and in theory, being able to get bribe intrigue all these things get them married for benefits and this is oh shoot sometime back in the middle ages i i don't remember which century but fantastic game and even better experience that i had so brides and bribes makes the list next we have a classic that recently had a 10th anniversary edition and that is container and i'll be honest container i don't care which edition it is the mechanisms really didn't change. Uh, there's some, you know, some people say, oh, you have to play it with certain number of containers. You know, don't play it with the strip down with less containers, this and that, whatever. I don't care. This is still a top 50 game for me, whichever version you want to play it. Simple, but pure economic game that the players dictate the market. And you know what? The players can sink the economy as well, if they so desire. So fragile, I think, is a good way to put uh, the economy in this game, but it's completely up to the players to dictate that and, what kind, and how the economy goes. And it's me versus you, and the game gets out of the way. Yes, 100% container is a no-brainer being on this list. Speaking of no-brainers, Demacher and we're talking I don't care if it's the second edition to third edition or the upcoming which I haven't seen yet but the upcoming fourth edition from Spielworks. Well, Demacher is a classic. In my opinion, it has one player count, 5. I I won't play Demacher with 3, 4 or anything else. It's a 5 player game. And it pretty much is going to come in as a 5 hour game no matter how you slice it. However, the game gets a bit of a misnomer of a bum rap as far as, oh, it's a really, really heavy game. It's really not. It's extraordinarily procedural, which makes it very simple mechanically. However, the repercussions of your actions, well, those might not be felt until, you know, an hour and a half, two hours down the road. So make your decisions well. But man, I have loved every single time I have played Die uh I, I'm very curious to see what revisions are getting made to it. Uh, I hope they keep the square tomatoes even though Democher is all about German politics in I think it was the 80s it might have been the early 90s but whatever it was around the time they were deciding whether or not to bring the euro in this and that so whatever time frame that was but the the fact that it's German politics really didn't matter. It's the mechanisms of the game that completely carry the day. And Demacher holds a special place in my heart as well. I mean, it's on this list, right? So pretty much everything does. But yeah, Demacher, if I have five players and we have a free day, absolutely, I would love to get Demacher to the table. The first of the Golden Elephant Award winners is now up, and that is Food Chain Magnate from Splatter. Come on, people. There are some of y'all out there that still haven't played this, I realize, but the majority of y'all I imagine have for me, fantastic business, economic logistics, mix game with you could call it sparse fifties throwback artwork. And with the upcoming expansion, the, the ketchup expansion, which is a modular, it has a bunch of, I don't know how many, but module uh, little modules that you can add that will change up the game is going to revitalize that game, so that the game doesn't have okay. You have a handful of opening strategies. If you divert from these and you're playing against somebody who knows what they're doing, you're sunk. Whereas these now are going to flip that on the on its head. But as a whole, Food Chain Magnate, in my experience, is a great experience across all of the player counts. Which I mean, that's part of the reason it won the Golden Elephant Award, right? Fantastic game, belongs on this list. If you haven't played Food Chain Magnate, do yourself a favor and try and get a play of it in. If you have played it and didn't enjoy it, well, okay, fair enough, but at least you tried it, right? So Food Chain Magnate, definitely. A couple of years ago, I would have scoffed or I would have kind of looked at you with a raised eyebrow if you had suggested to me that this next game would have made it onto this list. However, Don't judge a book by its cover, and that's Forbidden Stars, a fantasy flight game. Never would have thought would be on my top 50. However, man, did they do an excellent job of this game. Warhammer 40K Universe, which I know little to nothing about. However, it really is a pretty weighty euro in a really streamlined, very well done package the best part of this game is the action planning with the little tiles that you have to do to where they the the resolution order of these tiles if i put a tile down uh or an action down think of it that way and then you put another Action on top of that, and then I put another one on top of that. Then you put another one on top of that one. They're going to resolve in the reverse order, i.e., top to bottom, that we placed out there. So you have to do an immense amount of planning, strategic planning. I know that you know that I know that you know type thing of, okay, I think so and so is going to do this, but what about this other player? What if they do this? And trying to figure out what you think everyone is going to be doing while also having a little bit of randomness in combat dice rolls. But again, it's combat. I'm okay with that. Just an excellent package that unfortunately is unlikely to ever get reprinted. But I have heard that it's going to be, call it re-implemented, into a universe in which uh, Fantasy Flight still has the rights to, which is... Them and Games Workshop have split ways, so the uh, I, I believe that's the story on that. But bottom line, they can't reprint Forbidden Stars. So I have heard that they are coming out with a new version of that in maybe a different, not a, four, a Warhammer 40k universe. Nonetheless, every single play of Forbidden has been thick, and yeah, deserves to be on the list. Next up, we have Ground Floor Second Edition. Well, I kind of alluded to it a little bit when I talked earlier and mentioned that every change that they have made mechanically to this game, and you could make a case maybe visually as well as far as uh, art direction, looks great. A couple of misprints on the board, neither here nor there. It's a fantastic experience that I have enjoyed. I do enjoy it at higher player counts, be it four or five players, but... As a game with essentially three commodities in it with being money and information, but also time, time being your workers and you're, it's not always, it's not one of those worker placement type games where, oh, getting more workers is always going to be beneficial. This is one of those, everybody has their own plans and within those plans, you might be able to make it work with fewer workers employees or fewer time markers than I might be able to, or vice versa. So it's not always, okay, the, the age old, okay, it's a worker placement, get more workers so you can do more things type thing. That's not necessarily the case. In addition to that, there's a random, although it is forecasted so you can see roughly what's coming, of an economic deck in that that is going to impact the number of goods that are uh, bought by re or sold by retailers. So you, the players collectively might be producing some sort of goods to then be able to sell at the retail market because that's going to be one of the greatest ways to get an influx of cash. However, depending on how the market plays out, you may or may not get those sold depending on how popular your company is as well as the pricing that you set it as. Just a wonderful design by David Short. Like I said. Uh, Across the board, uh, improvements in the second edition, and yeah, uh, I'm a huge fan of this game, so Ground Floor, second edition. The first winsome game that's on this list is also the first winsome game that I ever played, and that is Irish Gage. I was giddy when I heard that this was getting reprinted by Clay, and I gotta say, I'm pretty excited about the fact that, you know what, all that came about at HeavyCon. Uh, Clay got a chance to play Irish Gage. He talked to Tom Russell, talked to John Bohr, and I was able to help facilitate a little bit of that. So that's awesome. I'm super excited. It's One of my favorite games, obviously, if it's on this list, and it's a winsome game. So for those that don't know, winsome games, very simple rules wise, usually on front and back of a single sheet of paper. Uh, train-themed games with uh, cross-investing and shared incentives, as well as laying track out on a board. The fact that Irish Gage is getting a reprint from Capstone Games and it has Inno you know, Tools artwork, that's a win across the board for everybody. I don't have a copy of Irish Gage. I really want a copy of Irish Gage. So the fact that this is getting reprinted, I am super stoked with. This was what really made me fall in love with deep, but simple mechanically games. And this, like I said, was my first introduction to win some games. And it's been a, a deep, dark road, uh, or deep, dark dive into that ever since turning me on to games like union versus central, which, Craziness. Uh and and as well as the Winsome subscription, which is probably going to be ending, if not this year or next year, which makes me sad, but that's neither here nor there. Irish Gage, an awesome introduction into Winsome games in general. And now uh onto the uh I believe Clay's calling it the Iron Rail series or something along the lines of that. Nonetheless, Irish Gage can't wait to get a copy of this. Next up, we have Keyflower. Some folks would say this is Richard Breeze's best ever design in the Key series. I would agree with that, but I don't think it's his best game. Ooh, teaser. But Keyflower is phenomenal. Every time I've played it, I've had a good time. It has different color meeples that are essentially different currencies in which players are going to be either taking actions, using them as kind of action selection workers, or as currency to be able to bid for tiles to be able to bid up or build up their own personal tableau for victory points later on uh, towards the end of the game it's long it's crunchy it's meaty and it's fantastic if you haven't played keyflower do yourself a favor a lot of people compare his brand new um key flow to it kind of in that key flow they say is a a card drafting version of Keyflower, I don't think that's even close to doing Keyflower any justice. I think Keyflow is closer to Seven Wonders, kind of like what Martin Fowler had referred to or compared on the live stream. Neither here nor there. Keyflower, often imitated, I guess you could say, but never duplicated. Keyflower is fantastic. Do yourself a favor. Get it played. Really good game. Next up, we have Lignum from Alexander Hoemer. And this was... One of my first introductions to uh, a, what I consider like a path game where you're traveling down a path. you can go as far along this path as you want to hurry up and get these awesome things that, you know, if somebody else takes them, you're not going to get. However, by doing so, you can't move backwards down these paths. You only can move forward. So once you pass all these other good goodies along the way, you forfeit them. Or you could do the opposite approach. Let somebody else jackrabbit up ahead, and then you just kind of mosey on along and pick up all the stuff that they skip. Really, really cool implementation of that mechanism, as well as has a little bit of an action or uh, auction in it for cutting down wood. I like the idea of 18th, 19th century lumberjacking in Germany. Who knew, right? But Lignum scratches an itch for me that I didn't know I really had. But even though I never find myself clamoring for, you know what I can't wait to play today? Lignum. However, whenever somebody suggests it and we play it, I'm like, reminds me just how good this game is. So there you go. Lignum. The next Golden Elephant Award winner and the most recent, Lisboa. Designed by Vital Lacerda. As he describes it, well, all you do is play a card, do an action, draw a card. Real simple game. Sure, Vital. Sure. Lisboa is a big, giant, crunchy thing upon thing upon thing upon thing, stacked up heavy euro that is all about uh, the city of Lisbon recovering from a devastating earthquake, tsunami, and fire. I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been to to try and live through that and then have to deal with the recovery. But they did an amazing job in the city, and this game tries to recreate that, albeit abstractly. But let's face it, all these games are abstracts. Anyways, I digress. Lisboa, a fantastic implementation of, well, kind of like what Vital said, play a card, do an action, draw a card. But there's a lot more to it than that. Couple that with... Over the top, ridiculous, and I mean ridiculous in a good way. Production quality of the game, know Tools artwork. Yeah, just a winning package. Fantastic game. I'm a big fan of it. Lisboa. All right, the next couple games, coincidentally, both come from 2009 or arguably way back. I mean, 10 years ago, 11 years ago. That's a long time in board game world. First up, we have Maria, what some would consider the best three-player Warro, war game high uh, and euro hybrid. Maria is a re-implementation of Friedrich. Uh, pits three players, and one of which plays both sides. So you have Austria versus France against Prussia. But you also have whoever plays Prussia also plays as a team of both sides, depending on what turn they're taking and it's it's a really well implemented very tough but mechanically pretty simple game the depth of the game comes from the maneuvering around the board but also the way the card play is in this game it's uses uh not a regular deck of cards but it uses a re- the regular suits of cards overlaid in a grid pattern over the map that you're playing on And so deciding where to have battles, depending on the suits of and quantity of cards that you have in your hands and positioning yourself as well as trying to manipulate your opponents to go into areas that favor you for a battle based on the suits of cards that you have in your hand is really, really fantastic and really well done. I'm a really big fan, even though I'm terrible at the game, and that's Maria. Sticking with 2009 brings us to one of the most fiddly and arguably ugliest games on this list, and that is Masters of Venice. Masters of Venice is... Nobody talks about this game. It's a lost gem, in my opinion, and it is fiddly as all get out. I would argue that there are two other games that are more fiddly, on this list both from Splatter that are coming up but that said this is going to give them both a run for their money it's all about being a young merchant in Venice in the 1400s trying to make your name in the legendary port via commerce basically it's an investment game you're going to be acquiring and converting and selling resources to then be able to get investments or get shares of stock ultimately uh, manipulating the value of all these commodities and these stocks, hopefully, for at the end of the game having the most lucrative portfolio. I actually got turned on to this game at the very first HeavyCon, and this was the very last game that we played. Which I would not recommend playing this game at five players when after a full game of of game or a full day of gaming uh, and learning the game, having your brain completely fried. Even so. I was pretty smitten with this game. And I remember when we did a review of this game on the show, when it came time to play the game for the, you know, to prepare for the review, I was like, man, I just begrudgingly got it off the shelf. Fine. Yeah. We need to play it this and that. And oh my, how wrong I was that This game is just an absolute forgotten gem, in my opinion. I think Masters of Venice is not streamlined, and it's fiddly as all get out, and it's ugly as sin to look at, in my opinion. But man, do I sure love me some Masters of Venice. You're actually going to be seeing it probably on the live stream sometime in the next month or so, because honestly, I want to get this played. So Masters of Venice, really, really big fan. And I realize some of y'all out there might be like, well, if you're that big of a fan of it, how come it's not in your top 20? Because there can only be 20 games in your top 20. And let's face it, top 50 list is brutal. You'll hear about this at the end, though, how some of the games that that narrowly missed the cut and how hard that was. I don't think there's a game on this list that came as a bigger surprise to me or y'all as Millennium Blades. There's so much about this game that I should not like. The fact that it's super meta game about players playing a CCG, a, a collectible card game. I, you know, think Magic the Gathering or whatnot. Real time, loads of randomness. Real time meaning literally there's a stopwatch in the game or a timer in the game the artwork does nothing for me it's uh anime or manga or i i don't know the term for that but there's so much about this game that i should not like yet this is the most chaotic enjoyable game uh, and it's so unique it's there there's just there's literally nothing else in existence that is like millennium blades and honestly, that's why I made sure to make sure that we're doing a live stream of it this month because I miss playing this and I I need to get a live stream of it up there. I also need to do a review of this game at some point. So, yeah, Millennium Blades, just I can't make heads or tails of I, I I've yet to be able to articulate over the course of the last few years why this game grabs me and why I enjoy this game as much as I do. But I really, really do. So yeah, uh, worst comes the worst. Check it out next week on the live stream and see. Ninety nine percent of y'all, I imagine, are not gonna be interested in this game. But everybody has those quirky games that, for whatever reason, really, really tickles their fancy. Millennium Blades is one of those for me. This next one's going to be on a lot of y'all's list too, I imagine, and that is Heimat, or how a lot of y'all know it, the Estates. Arguably the meanest auction game in existence. Uh, Only game that I know of that you're better off in some instances having scored more points than had you not played the game. I.e. a score of zero sometimes is actually a pretty good score. Brutal, mean, just There's just nothing nice about this game other than the actual gameplay experience. It's mechanically simple. You're auctioning off uh, floors of different houses. However, only one, maybe two, uh, possibly none of those rows of houses will score positively for players. Whoever has the top floor of a given building will score be it positive or negatively, depending on what color floors are on the top floor. Just an absolute brutal auction game and just a wonderful experience. You can play it over multiple rounds. You can play it over a single round. I definitely think the game shines when playing it over multiple rounds, but nonetheless, just a great, great game. Noia or The Estates, the new version. Next on the list, we have another kind of Woro Euro war game hybrid, originally from 2012, from Fran Diaz, and that is Polis Fight for the Hegemony, originally published uh, by Pegasus Spiele. However, gotta be honest, um, the Mercury Games version is much better because the rulebook is indiscernible in the original edition, and it kind of got a bum rap because of that. It's a hard Game. It's a two-player only waro. It, it takes place fifth century B.C. where you have Athens and the Delian League against Sparta and the Peloponnesian League. It's like I said, a waro war hybrid type thing where you can kill yourself in this game very, very easily. You can starve. You can you can basically sink your entire civilization by just not planning well enough. It's hard, it's mean, it's tough, but really good. Some people say this is the best two-player game in existence. I'm not willing to go quite that far definitively, but I will say that Polis is a phenomenal game for two players. So yeah, check it out. Definitely big fan of it. Need to play it more. All right, one of those real fiddly games that I mentioned earlier is Roads and Boats from Splatter. This is an older one. This uh, also goes back to 1999. So last century. Wow. 20 years ago now. Wow. Huh. Anyway, it's logistics, the board game. We used to joke that if you wanted to get a job for UPS or FedEx or DHL, this should be on the, the, uh, the application process you have to do well in a game of roads and boats to be able to qualify to be hired by one of these logistics company. uh a Modest collection of donkeys, geese, boards, and stone, and with these few materials, players work to develop their civilization. It's one of the few games out there that allows you to draw on the board. You get to draw roads. You don't get to draw boats because those are like wooden pieces, but I digress there 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 are you get to draw roads at least so has a little piece of cellophane or you can put plexiglass over the top of it whatever and there are tons of different maps depending on player count that you can play and yeah just a fantastic logistics game it's yet to be beaten as far as I'm concerned with just the logistics aspect of this game Uh, there's nothing better out there than roads and boats Next up, we have the the game that has become kind of an inside joke with heavy cardboard, and that is Rococo, the baseline midweight euro. So how heavy is a game? It's one and a half Rococos. That's the running joke, anyways. But Rococo, I gotta be honest, there's nothing super special about Rococo. There is nothing Z O M G that makes this game amazing. But I do feel like it is. The perfect quintessential midweight euro. And this is exactly what a midweight euro should be. It has a cool little deck building mechanism or hand building mechanism. It has uh, a cool little area majority area control aspect to it. There's just, it's very innocuous. There's nothing super hard or super difficult about the game, but everything it does. It does really well, and it's just the perfect midweight euro, in my opinion, and that's why Rococo still remains on this list. Not the second, but definitely one of the other newcomers to this list is Root from Cole Worley, Leader Games, and all those folks. Really is a war game in really cute clothing, isn't it? I got to be honest. This is one of the hardest teaches I've ever had to do. I realize that there are some of y'all out there that can teach this game. No problem, no harm, no foul. It's really simple. This one's really difficult for me. I don't really enjoy teaching this game at all. I really do enjoy playing this game. However, playing the different factions is as if you're playing a completely different game than everybody else at the table. And I feel like this game it is essentially two games in one. It's one game as you're learning the game and learning the different factions, and then I feel like it morphs into a completely different game as you explore it more and get into the whole playing the other player's aspect. I feel like it's those are two vastly different experiences and I got to be honest, I enjoy them both tremendously. And with more and more factions being pumped out i know there's a kickstarter coming for another set another expansion for root i i i only see that as as a good thing and I, I trust both cole and leader games to do the play testing that's needed for these yeah just a whole lot to like here in root next up we have the only block war game that has made this list which I feel kind of dirty about, but I got to be honest, I'm not playing a whole lot of Black War games because we can't show them off on the show because we don't have the right cameras and the right setup yet to be able to do so. So unfortunately, some of them have fallen off the list. The one that is not, however, Seki Gahara. Some would say this is arguably the best Black War game in existence, if not one of the better entry points for Black War gaming. I won't argue with that. The other option are Columbia Games, uh Block War games, whether that's Hammer of the Scots, Julius Caesar, Richard III or whatnot. But Seki Gahara has really cool card play. It has a very simplified mechanisms in it. And it's it's relatively easy for a war game to get into. And I think it's beautiful as far as an aesthetic. Uh how it looks on the ga- on the table. And it's one that I just don't get played enough right now, but I'm still keeping it here on this list. Seki Gahara, highly recommended. Next up, we have arguably my favorite game from Albin Viard, and that is Small City. One of the games in his uh, Small City universe that he has created, the others being Clinic, Tramways, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some others, but Small City, I love city builders. I love civilization builders. I I like building stuff, apparently. Maybe I'm a closet engineer and didn't realize it or want to be engineer. Small city, though, uh, the rule book's not so hot. Got to be honest. However, the gameplay, the gameplay is pretty hot. I'm a really big fan of this city builder. I think it's uh, one of the better ones out there, and I'm smitten with it. So, yeah, small city. This next one on the list, I wonder where it'll be a year from now. I think is a fair way to put it. I th- I could see I could make a case that it could go in either direction and that is Teotihuacan or Teotihuacan Uh you know what I mean, Teo. Uh I there was a big ramp up, there was a big hype train kind of for me within myself I'm saying from when I saw it last year at the Gamma Trade Show up until when uh basically Gen Con when I'd gotten the pre-production copy and then helped show it off, not because I got anything out of it, but simply because I really felt strong about the game. I've played it a bunch. I really, really enjoy this game. Some folks call it Zolkin 2.0 or or the, or the, you know, the second coming of Zolkin. Zolkin's not on this list this year. Um, I think that's partially eclipsed by Teotihuacan. I don't know if it's because it's new and I'm still pretty smitten with it and you know I haven't uncovered all the warts or or if there are those to be discovered but so I'm really interested to see where this ends up come next year but as it is right now I really enjoy the giant rondelle mechanism the building of the temple the production quality in the game is great I really enjoy it it, it kind of a kind of a, a point salad Euro. That said, big fan of Teo I'm curious to to see where that would fall for y'all. Another classic Euro on this list has been on this list from the word go, and I don't see it coming off anytime soon. It's the Castles of Burgundy, or uh what is it? Uh De Bergen Vernbergen, I think is is the German version of it. Uh Castles of Burgundy is regardless of presentation, artwork, the whole nine yards. It's the best Feld that there is, in my opinion. This is the best game that he has created. This is his Evergreen. And I know it recently got an app, I think it was. I would love to see somebody like Ian O'Toole get his hands on this game. I know he's tried. I know that's probably unlikely to happen anytime soon. That said, even with the less than stellar artwork, implementation, graphic design, fill in the right words here, Castles of Burgundy. I really enjoy it at two players. I really enjoy it at three players. I will play it at four players, even though it's not best at that player count. But yeah, Castles of Burgundy. It's an enjoyable experience every single time I play it. The next splatter, because let's face it, there's a lot of splatters on this list. That is the Great Zimbabwe. I'm surprised a little bit that it didn't make my top 20, but you know what? It didn't. So here we are. This is arguably the shortest of the group of splatters that are on this list. Plays in, I don't know, 75 to 90 minutes max maybe, and has great production quality, has a really cool theme about building temples to the various uh, African gods out there. And again, it's a logistics game, but it's really mechanically relatively simple and well implemented really well done and i really i enjoy every single one of my plays of most of the games that are on this list but uh yeah the great zimbabwe is definitely one of my favorite splatters and i got to be honest with y'all if you ask me in a week should this be in my top 20 maybe which is my favorite splatter changes like the weather that that says something to to the quality of their games so yeah but Great Zimbabwe, definitely on this list. The next two, surprisingly, both from GMT, we have the U.S. Civil War. This is the prettiest map I think I've played on, just from an aesthetic standpoint. And I realize, oh, wow, that, that that's really why it's on your list. No, that's not why it's on my list. I really enjoy the card play. I like the the strategic level game that this is uh, encompassing the majority of the civil war. I think it's, it's streamlined to a point to where it doesn't get lost in minutia. And even though it's a hex board, as far as, you know, um, hex encounter type game, it's not, it's not old school hex encounter. You're not going to have stacks and stacks of, counters and chits moving stacks around the board it's not that and that's one of the things that really appeals to me I would love to both be able to stream and review it but also I just want to get this game played more but just because I'm not getting it played terribly often doesn't mean it shouldn't be on this list that said U.S. Civil War one of my all-time favorite Hex Encounter games and Last but not certainly least on the alphanumeric 50 to 21 list, Time of Crisis. Another kind of Waro hybrid. And some people would say it's not at all a war game. It's very much a, think of it as a war game company does a Euro, I think is kind of a good way to put it. Time of Crisis, very cool, king of the hill, very awesome tech tree card play game. That's very easy to get into recently had a expansion put out for it, which I have a copy of coming uh, and I can't wait to dive into that. You're going to see that on the show as well, but yeah, definitely a uh, definitely big fan of time of crisis and the last two that are on this list. We have the people's choice golden elephant award winner from uh, a while, uh, a couple of years ago, and that is Tramways from album Viard, not the only v- album Viard game that was on this list. Small city. I apologize for that. But Tramways, a kind of a new reimagining of Age of Steam where it's more card play uh, and a clever. Maddening in a good way, auction mechanism and, you know, it's route building, pick up and deliver. It's definitely a reimplement no, a reimagining of Age of Steam, and Age of Steam being well further up on this list. Obviously, Tramways is going to get its due on this list. Yeah, if you haven't tried Tramways and you have or have not tried Age of Steam, I would recommend trying both of those. And now, for real, the last one on the fifty to twenty-one list. Is a game who the first time I played it, I was eh on. And then the second and third times I played it, I really enjoyed. And by the fourth time, really a big fan of. And that is Trickyrian. It's long, it's fiddly, there's no way, two ways around it. But I have really gotten really enamored with. I'm a big fan, I'm the world's biggest five year old when it comes to magic, anyways. So the theme in and of itself grabs me and if you if you want to go back and listen to mine and greg's review of trickerion i think that sums it up pretty well trickerion's just a really good game and it's not perfect but it's a game that i really enjoy even if it's not going to hit the table terribly often due to well just the length of setup length of of teardown and having to relearn stuff if it sits on the shelf too long whatever i still really enjoy the game that's trickerion Hello and welcome to the top 20 of all time of right now. All right, let's get into it. Starting off at number 20, going old school, going classic, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, every single time it hits the table, I'm like, wow, why do we not play this game more? I don't have a good answer for that other than time. I I realize that when you play with more experienced players, there are quote unquote right moves. No, you were supposed to take this action because I was going to take that or I did take this, which means you should take. You know what? I don't play with those players. Um, I'm not that experienced with Puerto Rico and maybe down the road. I will be get to that point to where, yeah, I see those things and I get it. But you know what? I thoroughly enjoy the role selection. The Action Selection I I really enjoy this game. I like how clever it is. I like the building uh of your own tableau. Puerto Rico's just it's a classic for a reason. Belongs in my list. It's my number 20. There we go. Next up, number 19, we have Indonesia from Splotter. There's two parts to this game. There's the production side and the operation side. The production side is terribly, terribly interesting in the best way possible. The operation side can get a little fiddly and a little annoying at times. I'm not going to lie, but it has one mechanism in it that for the life of me, I cannot understand why no other game has taken this mechanism and done something else with it. And that is the merger mechanic in Indonesia. Is that the only reason why I love Indonesia? No, but it is one hell of a good mechanism. Basically, what you're doing is you're building your economy, trying to acquire the most money by investing in these various companies and eventually maybe merging companies. But the the cool thing about this game is when you do mergers, whoever is the active player doing the merging They don't have to merge one of their own companies with something else. They're merging two companies that they can merge. Could be yours and the other person over there or that other person and that other person's company, their choice, amazing game, even with the fiddly bits and yeah, Indonesia is just phenomenal. A a great operations game or a great production game as far as producing and with the with the merger mechanism. An absolute classic. A lot of people will have Indonesia as their all-time favorite splatter. I'm not going to fault them for that. I, I think it absolutely could be. But Indonesia, fantastic game, even if the operations get a little tedious for me. Moving on to number 18, another mid-weight Euro. But man, do I love this game, warts and all. Shipyard by Vladimir suchi. I love this game. I enjoy the rondels in this game. I enjoy building up your ships and being able to build a bunch of big ones or a bunch of little ones, however it is that you want to do, and outfit them however you want to, then take them on their shakedown cruises. Are there problems with the contracts? I suppose, but we have a heavy cardboard variant that could Eliminate all that if you want. Doesn't remove uh, my enjoyment from the game at all. I enjoy the game at two, three, and four players, and Shipyard will forever be one of my favorite games, I imagine. Uh, yeah, Shipyard, just a classic for me. Well done, Vladimir Suchi. I've debated how to introduce this next game, but I'm just gonna just going to say it instead of trying to do some big preamble about it. But number 17, Brass Birmingham. If we're going to consider 18XX games, even though they're all from the same family, I think, in my opinion, Brass Birmingham is a different enough game from Brass Lancashire that it deserves its own entry. And it comes in at number 17. I like the variable setup. I like that this game it It feels like brass, but it feels like its own new version and new new take on the original brass. I don't have a whole lot of bad to say about brass Birmingham. My question, and I don't know the answer to this, and I don't know that any of us know the answer to this, is does it have the stain power of a brass Lancashire? I don't know, but I will say. I'm a really big fan of the new version or the new implementation or the however you want to word it. I think uh, Roxley did an amazing job bringing out Brass Birmingham. So, yeah, really high on my list. Number 17, well done. Next up, number 16 would be higher if they would just put out some more cards for the game, and that's Orit Labora one of Uwe rosenberg's classic game the problem and I, is it a problem i don't know it only has two versions of the cards right it has the france and the ireland decks agricola has 7244 different decks of cards you're telling me you can't put one one new deck out for or labor really uva come on man that said the way the resource wheel works the adjacency of being able to purchase buildings and putting where you put them on your player tableau matters and how these change every single game to a point because there's only so much variability between the two decks. That said, every single time that I play this game, I love, love, love playing Orit Labora, but man, I really wish they would give it a new deck or Six. That would be fantastic. So, oral board number sixteen. Next up, number fifteen. The only PAX game to make this list kind of surprised me, to be honest. And that's PAX Renaissance. Up until having played this a handful of times with Ash back in Denver, PAX Porfiriano was my favorite PAX game. And then I played it with Ash, and he showed me how well this game can flow and the way that the theme absolutely comes through in this game and how for this being a heavy Phil Eklund game, it actually can play extraordinarily quickly. It can play in 45 minutes, an hour or so, depending on player count and how experienced the players are. There's a learning curve with this game. Absolutely. And there's only experience is going to help. So you're going to have to take your lumps in a sense that you're going to have to play this game and struggle with it a little bit. I think Ash did an amazing job of teaching this game on video. But that said, once you get past those those learning bumps, I think there's a wonderful game there and I thoroughly enjoy playing it every single time it hits the table. I know that German Mike at HeavyCon probably played this game about 39 different times while there he yeah for a good reason it's a phenomenal game not one that I'm tiring of anytime soon and yeah just up till now as far as release games Pax Renaissance my favorite of the bunch at number 15 number 14 brings up the next Uva Rosenberg game Lahav uh oh, I do love me some Lahav I like it. I I haven't played it solo yet. I imagine I would enjoy it. I've played it two all the way up to five and I'm one of those weird people that really enjoys Lahav across the entire player count from that two to five. Again, with the caveat of solo, I don't know yet. I got to be honest. One of my best gaming experiences ever was the two player game I I played with Adrian and Lahav the variability comes in the way the order of the buildings. And it's such a mechanically simple game. I would argue that Lahav can be in a gateway game for non-gamers because mechanically it's so simple. You either take one of the resource piles on offer or you move your worker to a building and do what the action is in the building. Those are your two options in the on a turn. Granted, it's deeper than that, but mechanically, that's what you're doing on your turn. So Lahav, I've played it, I've introduced it to non gamers, and it's gone over well. Yet, for experienced gamers, still, there's so much to learn and so much to still explore. And so, I so enjoy every experience I have with Lahav. In fact, now I'm chomping it a bit to get it back out to the table, having talked to myself into it. Maybe that make for a really good solo stream. I don't know. But Lahav, uh, definitely a fantastic Uva Rosenberg. And as you can tell, I'm a big fan of old school Rosenberg, a lot less of new school Rosenberg. That said, Lahav, my number 14. Speaking of old school with designers that I'm I'm keen on, number 13, Vinos by Vito Lacerda. Yes, there is the 2016 version. Now, I'm a huge fan of the 2016 edition of the game that uses the 2010 rules. There are two versions of this game that came in the box, the 2010 and 2016. I played the 2016. I prefer the more fiddly, less polished, more harder, more rough-edged version which is the 2010 with the banking on it it's hard it's frustrating it makes me want to pull my hair out but I enjoy that in a lot of these games and in my opinion this is this is still Vito Lacerda's best game Vino's even with Liz, Lisboa having won the Golden Elephant Award yeah I I Vino's is still my favorite but that's not to say that I don't enjoy his other games I think the Action selection mechanism in the center of the board in Vinos to where it's really simple. There are nine available actions on a given turn, and you have so many limited, or you have so limited number of turns. It really becomes a really fine balance of not just optimizing the winemaking and selling and exporting and doing all of that, but it's also an efficiency of being able to adjust to what the other players are doing. It is such a classic, such an amazing game. Absolutely belongs on my list. Number 13, Vinos. Moving up to number 12, Wildcatters. And i got to be honest, I really like both editions of Wildcatters, but if you put a gun to my head, I think I like the second edition better, the one by Capstone Games. I think it made subtle improvements on things and all those improvements, much like ground floor, uh, they were they were improvements across the board. Would I happily play the first edition? Yes. Do I think the second edition has improved it? Yes. Wildcatters all about prospecting for oil and then the transport and delivery and refining that oil into victory points. There are so many tough decision points that you have in that game. That it's just a brutal game in that regard. Aesthetically, it's one of the most beautiful looking games on the table when it's set up. People are always stopping. Ooh, what's that? What game is that? Whenever I'm playing it at a convention or at a public game day or anything like that. Wallcatters, I was smitten with it way back when. I still am. Belongs on the list. There we go. Number 12. You know, it's so nice. We're going to do it twice. Sticking with 2013, uh, number 11, the original Golden Elephant Award winner, Madeira. Madeira is such a tough but fantastically designed game. Dice selection, dice allocation game that really showed me how well you can implement dice that you actually roll in a game into a game. And the way that it's crunchy, I mean, Madeira still hurts my brain every single time I play it and I still struggle with the game. I don't do exceptionally well at it, but I think that's a credit to the game that it's it's hard to do well in Madeira, at least for for me, the ambassador little promo tiles, the the, the mini expansion that came out, I think definitely enhance the game because the one kind of lacking aspect of the game was traveling to the various colonies and I think those those little the small edition of the ambassador tiles I think did a really really great job of balancing that out even further but go back listen to the very first episode give me a little grace when it comes to the audio quality on that but I'll be honest going back I I stick by That first review that we did in episode one, it hasn't changed my feeling on the game at all. The time that has gone by and I enjoy, I love every play of it, even if it's not hitting the table all the time. It's a classic for me and yeah, I feel really good about it. I'm really happy uh, to have made it the first Golden Elephant Award winner. Although I will say Wildcatters is climbing up on its tail. So watch out, Madeira. We'll see how what happens next time. So that's number 11, Madeira. All right, here we go. The top 10. First up, number 10, Three Kingdoms Redux. In my experience, the best three-player only game that I have ever played. It is perfectly balanced. I have so little negative to say about Three Kingdoms Redux. I love the auction or the bidding mechanism of using your generals to win actions to be able to do those, but also the battling mechanism to where it's not punitive to where if you lose a battle you still keep your resources you just lose that action for this round however if you do win certain bat or if you win a battle and you station your generals you now have lost bidding power for the rest of the game because you now have one less general to be able to use I think it is as close to a perfectly designed three-player game as I've ever seen and I I I haven't seen it beat I haven't played them all, but in my experience, Three Kingdoms Redux is just an absolute gem of a game. And to be honest with you, I would the only negative that I could even conceive coming up with for this game is the fact that you need it helps knowing what the different generals special abilities for the three different factions in the game can do. But outside of that, just a phenomenal game. And yeah, well done, Christina and Yowster. So number 10, Three Kingdoms Redux. And sticking with no- 2014, we have number nine, the Golden Elephant Award winner for that year. We have Arkwright. What a great business simulation, uh, supply and demand, and running. Not really simulation. I think that's that's maybe an unfair statement, but a... a Excellent business game and a game that models supply and demand and appeal and how important it is competing against one another and the cutthroat nature of underselling and undercutting your opponents or not bothering to do so and shipping your goods overseas for more lucrative payments, but comes with some risk. Arkwright is fiddly, especially if you don't have the insert setting up all those workers up on the board is a bit of a pain uh, to do so, but outside of that, and it it's a bear to learn and it's a bear to teach at times. However, you get experienced players, and by experience, meaning you just don't have to do the teach. you don't have to have a hundred plays under your belt. You just need one or two. man, Arkwright is special, and yeah. I'm I'm thrilled to have it in my collection. It will never leave my collection. I uh, well done all the way around. Arkwright, my number 9 game. And let's just keep it rolling with the Golden Elephant award winner, shall we? Number 8 1822. It's my favorite 18XX game that I have played to date. I'll be honest, the reason there aren't more 18XX games on the list, I'm just not playing them right now. Does that mean I'm not going to play them? No, it just means I'm not right now. However, 1822 the variability in that game, and the fact that it carries my favorite aspect of, of, the eighteen XX series, which is the initial auction, and it carries that auction throughout. I don't know the first two thirds, the three quarters of the game, even if it doesn't have the most dynamic stock market uh, aspect of the you know that that any eighteen XX has out there. It has it brings so much to the table, and I know that there is now. 1822 CA or 18, uh, yeah, the, the, there have basically been new versions of 1822 that have come out and an expansion for 1822, which that's pretty rare to have expansions for an 18 XX. I haven't played them yet. So as it is 1822 stays my favorite game. There are tons of others that I want to be able to play. I want to play 18 Ireland. I want to play 18 USA. There's so many more, but as it is just Across the board, my favorite 18xx today, 1822, even if it does take an exceptionally long time to play, if I have a day and we can block it out, there are a few games that I would want to play more than 1822. So there you go. Number eight. Moving up to number seven is the highest splatter that is on this list. And at least right now, my favorite splatter, that is Antiquity, the game that hates you. And is actively trying to kill you. Fiddly as all get out. Just a ton of stuff on the board. And the game really does hate you. Brutal. But man do I love my city slash Civ Builders. And Antiquity in my opinion. Is the best. Or at least one of the best. Out there. And I have zero problems with the fiddliness of this game. And it's hard. And I fail so bad at this game, but it doesn't doesn't mean I don't want to keep coming back for more. If you like city builders and you like Civ-type games and you don't mind fiddly and you don't mind just a bunch of shits out on the board, definitely take a look at Antiquity because, man, is this thing special. So that's my number seven, Antiquity. Moving up to number six, the highest-ranked Uwe Rosenberg game. And... You know what? His best game. Let's be honest, folks. It's Agricola or Misery Farm. Subsistence farming is not easy. It's not fun in a sense that woohoo! let's go and do some subsistence farming in the Middle Ages. You're doing everything you can to just keep your head above water. Apparently, I'm just a masochist and like pain in my games. You look at Antiquity, you look at Agricola, and you look at a whole bunch of these games that are on this list, especially as you get further up this list. But you know what? Agricola is the quintessential worker placement. Just everything that I love in painful games like this. I like the stress that comes with uh, Agricola, even though I'm not good at the game. Noticing a theme with all the a lot of these games that apparently I just suck at playing games doesn't mean I don't like them though. And let's face it, Agricola has the aforementioned 9432 different decks available which you know, let's face it, it doesn't need that many. Throw some to Orat Labora. That said, it's cool to have the variations if you do play this game. You know, as many times as Christina and Youster have, the hundreds of games that they have of this, being able to vary up the decks is great. Let's be honest, though. 99% of us out there, we're not going to play Agricola that many times. That said, it's not hard to go back to it. I don't need to relearn the rules every time I go back to it, even if it's set on the shelf for a while. And, yeah, it's, well, it's my second favorite worker placement game, I guess I could say. So there you go. Agricola. Deserves to be number six. And here we go with the top five. Number five, Brass Lancashire. You know what? I might end up liking Brass Birmingham more. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Brass Lancashire sure has stood the test of time, in my opinion. And, yeah, fantastic game. Is it perfect? No? Are there, are there some things that I still am not super thrilled with and how there are certain aspects of, oh, you need to be able to be set up to drop down a couple railroads the first, uh, the first action after the canal phase. Eh. Does that impede my enjoyment of brass? Nope. And when I say brass Lancashire, I don't care if it's the original version of Brass or the new beautiful version by Roxley. I it, Whatever. Brass Lancashire is Brass Lancashire. Yeah. Fantastic game. You guys know that. And if you haven't played it, go play it. There you go. My number five. The biggest change to this list comes in at number four. My former number one game of all time through the ages. Do I love through the ages? Do I think it's the best civilization game in existence? Yep. Is it perfect? Nope. We recently me and Gorov or Gorov and I, me and Gorov, whatever, doesn't matter. We recently reviewed it and forcing myself to look at my all-time favorite game that hard, as hard as I did, made me realize that, you know what? For me right now, it's not my number 1 game of all time. So, you know what? That's okay. I'd say number four out of the 1,500 or so games that I've played. I'm good with that. But Through the Ages, seriously abstracted Civ game that has an app for it. Um, Some people prefer the app over the board game. I prefer the board game over the app because if I'm going to play a video game, I'll play a video game, not a board game. That said, uh, yeah, I I think it's the best civilization uh, game out there, even if there isn't a map. Out there for a civilization, like in Civ or in the other civil Mega Civ, stuff like that. Through the Ages is a classic. It will remain forever. It may get buried with me. I love it that much. But you know what? For right now, this point in my life, and after having to delve into it as deep as I did for the review recently, I feel pretty good with it coming in as my number four all-time game of right now. Which brings us to my number three game, which we recently have had to kind of re-examine and I'm going to be doing a review of down the road as well. And that is my favorite Richard Breeze game of all time. And that is Reef Encounter. It's controlled chaos in a lot of ways. It has randomness in the way the tiles come out, the the polyp tiles, to where, you know, what you're building, being able to maximize that but the the metagame and the having to play the other players and manipulate the coral str- control tiles or the strength tiles. As I play this more, I realize how chaotic it looks on the surface, but how amazingly controlled it can be when you play well. And just thematically, it's an abstract, but the theme actually works really well in Reef Encounter. I would love to see this game reprinted by somebody because I think more and more people, I think the market is perfect for a game like Reef Encounter to come back out because honestly, it's an amazing game. I, I, the mechanisms of being able to build up your coral and only being able to protect some parts of your coral from being nibbled on by other people's coral and the dominance of that and how that dominance between the corals change, but that's completely dependent on what the players do and how they change the dominance of those corals. Even though, yes, it does have, I guess, some hidden trackable information in that what coral uh, did everybody's parrot fish eat. But you know what? I'm not tracking that. I'm not at that level. So for me, Reef Encounter, my number three game, and I would love to see a new version of this. That brings us to number two, probably not a big surprise to a lot of folks. If you've been a fan of heavy cardboard for any appreciable amount of time, and this is my number one worker placement game of all time, that's dominant species. People say the amount of randomness that's in that game makes it too chaotic. This and that I say hogwash to that. You know, what's happening before every round, before you do your planning Aspect or your planning stage before you place your workers out on the board before they execute, you know what's going to happen and which players best mitigate that chaos and be able to anticipate other players' moves and making lemonade out of lemons, yeah. It it doesn't get a whole lot better for me than dominant species. It's I think for any non-filler non crokinole game, I think Dominant Species, I have the most plays of than any other game in the hobby, period. So yeah, Dominant Species, yes, I know there's Dominant Species Marine coming out. I don't know what to think of it. I haven't played it yet. Um, it's got some awfully big shoes to fill, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, my number two game of all time of right now, Dominant Species. That brings us to my number one game of all time of right now, and that's Nations. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I, I, no, uh-uh, just kidding. Age of Steam, my number one game of all time of right now. So some folks might be like, whoa, hold on one second. Age of Steam, how come you get to do Age of Steam, but you have to break out the brasses? and brass eye hmm, i don't know brasses eh, go with it or the 18xx games well the difference in my opinion is those are standalone games whereas age of steam has about 160 ish maps out there and you need the age of steam game to be able to play them those are just maps so that's different so to me age of steam is it because of that variation in the maps I mean, I'd be lying if I said if it just had one map, it probably wouldn't be here. So, yeah, that's a fair point. However, how changing a single thing in Age of Steam can completely change the way various maps play. But I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just talk about the base Age of Steam. Like, Take the Rust Belt map, which is the base map, right? Just the order in which the cubes get drawn either in the production board or on the cities themselves can vastly change how a single map plays from game to game and so there isn't one hard fast strategy on a given map period because it changes every single time you ever play it and i'm i'm okay it just I i'm far from great but the fact that the game allows you to cut your own throat from the first move of the game. There is no other game in existence, at least for me, that I have encountered to where the very first move of the very or the very first action of the first turn of the first player ends up with them with their head in their hand thinking, "Oh god, how many how many shares do I issue? How many Cause I need that money to be able to sustain the player auction for the special abilities, but then I have to be able to build track, but then I got to be able to pay for my expenses cause I'm not going to make a whole lot of money the first round. But what if I don't get the action that I want? Well, if I don't get the action that I want, then I might not be able to build where I'm thinking about building. And if I build here, it's going to cost me this. But if I have to build over there, it's going to cost me that much more. I got to issue one more share. But if I issue one too many shares, now I'm going to pay an extra dollar in interest, which that's going to cost me $3 at the end of the game. What do I do? And that's from the very first decision for the first player of the first turn. To me, that's what this hobby is about. Those competition of decision making. And I got to be honest, I don't know that there's another game that does it better than Age of Steam. At least at this point in my gaming career, gaming life, whatever you want to call it, it's hard to beat Age of Steam. So there you have it. That's my top 50 of all time of right now. So a couple things. Before we go into the interesting tidbits that I, uh, going back over the last few top 50s that I and we have done over the course of the show. I wanted to talk a little bit about that age of steam being my number one game. So the way I go about making this list is I go through all of my plays of as best as I can remember them. I go through the library here at the house, and then I go through the games that we've streamed, and then I go through... Uh, The previous list, not to give myself an idea of what were the games on there in what order, but make sure I don't forget anything because I don't log my plays. So after that, I go through and I write down and I handwrite all these and I write down what games do I think might could make my top 50, eliminating any fillers and stuff like that. And then over the course of a few days, I whittle that down. Some are easier to whittle than others. And then I go through and I whittle, I whittle until I get to the final few, which are excruciating. I'll talk about those more here in a little bit. But once I get my 50, then actually I kind of do it again, but going, okay, what games do I think absolutely should be in my top 20? And I make those. Sometimes I get 30, sometimes I get 15, whatever. So I put them on there then once I have 20 and I feel good about it, then I arrange those in order, starting with a just what my gut feels like. Like, okay, this feels good there. Put that there. And then I'll look at it and go, is that what I really think right now? No. And then I'll rearrange things, this and that. And the reason I tell you guys about that is, one, I, I imagine maybe some of you guys want to know what that process is like. But it also kind of, with all the hubbub that's going on with Age of Steam right now, I actually had, I had a tough decision on the surface on what to do with Age of Steam, because there are going to be some folks that hear this that say, "Oh, you're just shilling because you're doing a sponsored playthrough of Age of Steam, da da da," and all that. Yep. There's definitely going to be some folks that say that. Um, even though I've been quote unquote shilling for Age of Steam for about three and a half, four years. But whatever. However, I realize that for me right now, people are gonna call into question my integrity. And I feel like if I changed it in fear of that, that would be dishonest. I feel like that would be a lack of integrity because i could bury Age of steam and somewhere else and that would be safer but you know what this is how i feel right now this is how it's my list this is what and those of you all listening i imagine i've built up a little bit of credibility over the course of the last four and a half years with you guys so this is it this is as honest as i can be so that's why ages steam still is ended up at my number one, even though I did question whether or not I should not put it there for fear, but reacting to that fear, I didn't think would be a good thing. So there you go. All right. So let's move on here. What were the new games that were on the list? Well, they were brass Birmingham brides and bribes ground floor 2.0 root tail to time of crisis and Tracurian. That means of my top 15, Of my top 50, 15% of the list is new compared to last year. New into the top 20 is Shipyard, which originally was in my top 20 in the first list, but dropped out after a couple of years or after that first year for a couple of years. And Brass Birmingham made it into the top 20 after, you know, obviously is a new game from last year. That's the only one to break into the top 20. I thought that was pretty interesting. And I wanted to give uh, a list of the 16 games that were the final cuts. And I would say in no particular order, but sort of. Bios Megafauna, Kalis, Churchill, Forged in Steel, Gaia Project, John Company, Zolkin, Twilight Struggle, Stratomatic Baseball. I'm just not playing it enough for it to be there, but that would be cool if I had people to play it with. Hansa Tutonica, Glory to Rome, I don't see it as filler. I think it would belong. The Gallerist, Ginkopolist, and then these last three were absolutely brutal cuts. I mean, who am I kidding? All 16 were, but, but these last three were really hard. Craftsman, Colonialism, and 1857. So going back to my first ever top 50, five. Have changed in the top 20. Five. So that means 15 of the games when I first did this a number of years ago have remained there. That either says a lot about the staying power of these games and how special these games are, as well as my taste, or it says something about the many of the games of the last three years from when Heavy Cardboard first put out these top 50 lists. So I find that really interesting. What this tells me is it's really damn hard. To break into my top 20. Hmm. So is that a reflection on me? Or is that a reflection on the games? Both the newer games as well as the games that are in that list. I don't know. But I think I found that really interesting when going back over the last few years. So anyway, I'm curious about y'all's take both on my list and the consistency in that top 20. And I'm also curious what y'all's top 20 would be. Post it in the discussion thread over on the thread in the guild over on BGG and it's uh guild number 2044. That's the Heavy Cardboard Guild on BGG. So there you have it. That's my list. Um yeah, feel pretty good about it. And man, there are some really damn good games that didn't make it. But let's again, when this is the top 3% of the games that I've played. So if a game didn't make that list and it's in that 16, hell, a top 50 is still an amazing list, right? So whatever, or a top 100, I mean. Anyway, that's all I got for you guys. I appreciate it. I hope y'all enjoyed it. And give me some feedback. This is, this is me rambling on for two hours, and I... You heard where where I said the show was coming from, that it was coming from the Center for Anxiety at Boston University. That's why this episode came out late. I was hella nervous about doing my first ever episode by myself. Now, granted, it's just the list, and I don't know how I feel about doing a review by myself, but... I would love your feedback, constructive or or supportive. Either way, whatever you think, I would love to hear it. So that said, thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to check out over on patreon.com forward slash heavy cardboard. You want to uh, support the show over there and also tell somebody about the show, whether it's online or in person. I really would appreciate it, whether it's the podcast or the YouTube channel really will, really will help the show, y'all. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm really excited to hear your guys' lists, and I'll catch you all in a couple weeks. Take care, y'all.